Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I believe that this will most likely finish up our study through the Thessalonian epistles. However, most of our time is going to be spent actually outside of this epistle as we're going to consider verse 17 of chapter 3 where Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. I want to take a few minutes to remind you of the occasion for Paul writing something like this as he does here in verse 17. And the occasion is simply this, and, 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 and it's something we learned back in chapter, back in chapter 2. Back in, I mean, back in, uh, yeah, back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he gave the indication that there were at least some who were trying to be uh, presenting some teaching that had come from the Apostle Paul, and that they were doing it through a spoken word or through a letter seeming to be from us. So the reason that Paul is writing this way in verse 17 as he closes this out, you know, this is the sign of genuineness as it is in all my letters. The reason that he's, he's concerned with genuineness is because there were hucksters out there, there were frauds who were writing letters supposing to be from the Apostle Paul and actually teaching false doctrine, especially in regard to end times issues. They were, they were writing these letters that were claiming to have apostolic origin. And this was really a way to, to attack the very foundation of the church. And that's always been the tactic of the enemy. The tactic of the enemy has always been to attack the Word of God. We see that in the Garden of Eden when Satan inhabited the serpent in order to bring discredit to the Word of God. And this is an incredibly important issue for us as a local church this morning. And it's, under, it's, it's important that you and I actually understand that our Bible is trustworthy. Our Bible is trustworthy. In fact, tonight what I want to do is actually, I'm going to, even though I was scheduled to be in the book of Isaiah, I realized I couldn't get everything I wanted to say into this morning. Otherwise, we would be here for quite a, a long time. What I want to do tonight is try to provide some help to you so that you can understand how did we get the Bible? How did the Bible come to us in its present form today? And how can we understand that our Bible is trustworthy? How do we understand the veracity of the Scripture? That's tonight. But this morning, I want to consider another question. That is this. Why is it so important to Paul that the Thessalonians understand, the ones who received this letter, understand that it was from him. Why is it so important that they understand that this was a genuine Pauline, and that's not referring to Tyson, that we say Pauline mean, meaning of the Apostle Paul. Why is it so important? Well, listen, back in 1 Thessalonians, just listen to this for a minute. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he, he gave us an indication. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we learned that Paul understood, now listen, it's very important, Paul understood that what he was delivering to them was actually the very Word of God. He said that they received the Word of God from us. And the, and the false teachers, by providing these forgeries, 
those frauds were seeking to discredit the very Word of God Himself which He delivered through the apostles. And as I said, that's a very, an attack on the very foundation of the church Himself. And He, Paul, wants the Thessalonians to know that what they have is genuine from Paul because He wants them to know that they were actually hearing, that they had actually received the Word of God Himself. Paul wanted them to know that what they were hearing was from Him because what they were hearing was the Word of God. And that's quite a statement, isn't it? That is quite a statement. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And I hope that you'll come back tonight as we try to explore that a little bit more. But continuing with this, why was Paul so eager that the Thessalonians would receive this letter? In order to do that, I want to jump out of 2 Thessalonians and take you to 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last letter, the last of the inspired writings from the Apostle Paul. This little four-chapter little letter, 2 Timothy And we're going to be looking, first of all, at chapter 4. Now, by my account, this last letter that Paul writes, and he writes to to Timothy, who is pastoring a church in Ephesus, so he's writing to a young pastor. By my count, there are at least 28 different commands in these little four chapters. 28. Might be one less or one or two more, but by my count, at least 28. I think the the highest of those commands comes to us in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge you, therefore, in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Now here's the command, what is it? Preach the Word. Just stop right there. Preach the word. I think this is the highest, this is the high point in this letter, the highest of the commands. Preach the word. Now, I want you to notice that you heard me say a word that if you're looking in the ESV, you didn't see that word, did you? It's the word, therefore. I charge you, and I said, therefore, in the presence of God. Now, unfortunately, the word, therefore, is not translated for some reason in the English Standard Version. It's just a little Greek word, and and I'm not really sure why it got passed over, but it's just a little Greek word that refers to the consequence of what has just been said. In other words, it means for this cause, for this reason. And what it's it's important that I point this out to you because what this is telling us is that this high point command of 2 Timothy chapter 4, this highest command, preach the word, is founded on the truth that has been revealed in chapter 3. In other words, chapter, this, is, this is amazing. Chapter 4 is based on chapter 3. You see, I really did well in seminary and I'm learning all these things, right? Chapter 3 is the basis for the command given here. And what happens is, as we back up into chapter 3, we find the reason for this preach the word command. And what happens is Paul introduces us to the reasons that we are to preach the Word. And and, and if we were reading some music here, if this were written out in in a musical score, we would see a, a little crescendo sign starting somewhere around verse 9 of chapter 3. Because what happens is, 
there's this crescendo in intensity as Paul explains the reasons for the command, preach the word, and it reaches its high point just at the end of chapter 3. If we listen closely to what we're going to look at tonight, to this morning, we will find why Paul was so eager for the Thessalonians to receive the letter that he wrote to them because he understood that what he was writing to them was the very Word of God Himself under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as we talked tonight. He was so eager that they would receive it. Why? Well, we'll find that out this morning. He gives this command, preach the Word. And again, when he says the Word, he is referring to apostolic doctrine. Apostolic doctrine. Why? Why preach the Word? Why preach the Word? Well, as I already showed you, I charge you, therefore, that if we're going to know why preach the Word, why this command, we have to go back and look at the reasons in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he presents to us five reasons for preaching the Word. Five reasons for preaching the Word. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Stop right there. And we have really the first reason for, the, for preaching the Word. And we might say because of perilous times. Because of dangerous, difficult days. Now you see how he begins this text. Understand this. He's, he's calling attention. I want you to recognize something, Timothy. Timothy's a young man. Paul's older in the faith. And he says, now, as an older man, I know a few things and I want to teach you something. I want you to understand something. I want you to recognize something. Timothy, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be used to bring people to their senses, as he said at the end of chapter 2. You might be used to, to cause people to escape the deceptive a satanic trap set for them and recognize this that it's not going to be easy recognize that ministry in these days in what she calls the last days is not going to be easy one of the last days i mean you you hear people talking all the time i i i, I talked to somebody yesterday and they said you know what we've got to be in the what in the last days now i've told you before that that phrase last days when it's used in the bible it's used to refer to the time uh, of, of the ascension of Jesus Christ, anything between the ascension of Jesus Christ after His resurrection and His second coming. So Paul could say, when he wrote this 2,000 years ago, we're in the what? Last days. And we could say today that we are in the last days. Everybody's talking about that. Everybody knows that. My question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that we're in the last, or could I say, in the last of the last days? Well, if you believe that, then you will take special care to understand this passage. You will take special care to understand this passage. Listen, we are right smack in the, da we're right, right in the middle of, of the last days, or maybe we're in the last of the last days. And he says, in this time period, Timothy, your ministry is going to be characterized as being difficult. Understand this, that in the last days there will, become, there will come times of, of difficulty. Or King James says, perilous times will come. 
This word difficulty is, is sometimes used as to, to, to uh, speak of something that is fierce. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, it was translated as being fierce. It is something that is difficult, laden with obstacles, and full of hardship. There will come times of difficulty. Timothy, I want you to know something. That as you minister and as you serve, there are going to be seasons of unusual fierceness. Seasons of unusual difficulty. Seasons of unusual danger. God is telling us through the Apostle Paul that we can expect that over the time, between the time of the ascension of Christ and His second coming, that there will be varied degrees of difficulty in the seasons that we experience. That's why preach the Bible. Because of perilous times. You can expect that there will be perilous times. Now what's interesting to me is that Paul does not set out to describe these perilous times from a political perspective as all of us, I would be the first to do. Oh, these are dangerous times. Let me tell you why these are dangerous times and then list all of the political corruption and difficulties and hardship and other nature like that. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't look to the, to the Capitol building. <laughs> he looks at the church building. In fact, when he goes to describe these perilous times, he describes not necessarily times, but he describes people. Perilous times will come for, you see that verse 2? Now look, we've got to go all the way to verse 17, and we're just, now we're in the first word of verse 2. For, because people. He, he, he bases his statement of perilous times, of dangerous times, of difficult times, of the fierceness of the times, on people, four people, and then he lists about 21 characteristics. People will be lovers of self. Now that's just one Greek word that refers to having a great love or a fond affection for, for oneself. The object of this love is self. It's interesting that Paul actually goes and he's, he's describing to Timothy the characteristic, the reality that will be within the church. Men will be lovers of themselves. If you think about it, what is the most, what is, what is uh, the contemporary church like today? It's all about love of self. What do you want? What do you like? What do you desire? What do you need? That's what we want to make the church. We want to make the church a clearinghouse or a buffet for, for meeting every like and every want and every desire and every need that has ever come to mind or has ever come to the desire of men. And that's precisely the problem. Listen, whenever you exalt self, you by nature dethrone God. What makes these days so difficult? Men loving themselves and, and lovers of money. This is something very important to Paul. He speaks of this, not only here, but he speaks of it in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the writer of Hebrews speaks of it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. It means people who love silver. Nothing wrong, of course, with, with the proper earning of money, but what we're talking about here is money love. Not just self-love, but money love. Timothy, it's going to be really difficult because people are going to love money. And when you love money... You, Jesus taught us, can you love money and love God at the same time? What? No. 
lovers of self, lovers of money. And then just look at these next three. He says, keep these together, proud, arrogant, abusive. The word proud was a word from a word that means braggart. Days are to be full of people who are boasting in their own accomplishments, boasting in their own glory, which means, of course, you can see why they're very arrogant. The inward trait is proud, and then outwardly that shows up as arrogance. They have this hyperinflated view of themselves. Finally, we have the word abusive, which is the word that translates from which we get the word blasphemous. And the basic idea of this word is an inner disdain for people and an inner disdain for God. Timothy, times are going to get hard. There are going to be these seasons, these epochs of difficulty in the ministry. When people are lovers of self and lovers of money and proud, arrogant and abusive. And then he says, disobedient to parents. And that doesn't seem to fit in there, right? It was interesting to me how how Paul often uses this phrase, I think about Romans chapter 1, as a reason for the wrath of God. Disobedience to parents. We, we, he says, these days are going to be bad, and they're going to be marked by the increasing disobedience to parents. Throwing off, casting off what has come before. Turning away from that. And ungrateful. I mean, it just keeps coming. This is self-evident. It just, you have no need for thanksgiving because, hey, why? And, and unholy. That word seeks to, to speak of one who is quick to gratify his own desires. Heartless, he says. You see as we go on here. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless. It just means unloving. It means not loving what ought to be loved. He's saying, Timothy, times are going to be difficult. You're going to see times, epochs over life, where you're going to see these characteristics. They'll be unappeasable refers to those who refuse to change no matter what. Just a hard-heartedness. No matter what you say, not going to change. Slanderous. You know what that is, right? Malicious gossips. It's, it's the word. Actually, this is the word from which we get our word devil. It's devil talk. Accusations. Just People are going to make broad accusations over and over and over again. Without self-control? That describes a person who says, and, and tell me if you heard this before, I don't care what you say, here's what I'm going to do. Without self-control, no inhibition. Brutal. People are going to be characterized as being savage. Loving savagery. Ah. And then, keep, take these four together. Not loving good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. <laughs> this, this, not only is this age characterized by people who plain and simple do not appreciate that which is good, but they, they love treachery, carelessness, and negligence. That person is swollen with conceit because he thinks it's all about him. Lovers of pre- pleasure rather than lovers. I mean, this is depressing. You say, Joe, come on, I come to church to be encouraged, and I'm, I'm discouraged. Well, good. <laughs> this is what we need. We need, to, we need to be hit right between the eyes with truth. Lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. Those who love pleasure, self-pleasing. And, and worse, it has the idea of willing to inflict pain on anyone else, no matter what or who they hurt. How about this? Verse 5 having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. 
That's what people are going to be like. They're going to, they're going to, on the outside, look like, wow, look at those godly people. But there's no strength to it. They look on the outside to be religious. They look to be righteous. They outwardly have the identification uh, of, of righteousness, but there's no inward strength for that. Verse 6 is interesting. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. They are creepy captors. He says that's what the days is going to be like. Creepy captors. These false teachers, he says, who, who, who uh, seek to um, capture weak women. They, they make weak women the prey. Now, what is that? We're talking about those who are outside. Now think about the Garden of Eden. And what happened? Was Eve together with Adam? No. And Satan comes in and he gets between the man and his wife. And the rest is history. These are, they prey on women who are weak. Emotionally weak. Spiritually weak. Burdened down with sins. Always, he says they're always learning. But never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. They're always looking for something new. The latest book. The latest fad. The latest trend. But they can never really find it. <laughs> you see that all the time, right? Whatever happens, the church is so trendy. People get built up with one, the, the enneagram, enneagram, the, the, the Jesus calling, the this, the that. They're always looking for something more. These are perilous times, Timothy. People will be opposing the truth just like he says in verse 8, Janus and Jambres, they're likely the names of the magicians in Egypt who duplicated many of the miracles that were performed by the Lord through Moses. He said they just oppose the truth. That's the only thing they exist to do is oppose the truth. What's he saying? Preach the word, Timothy. Why? Because of perilous times. Difficult times. Times, seasons, epochs of difficulty in ministry. Preach the word. Don't get soft. Don't turn away. Don't turn back. But not only preach the word because of perilous times. In verse 10, he says, preach the word because of the pattern of faithful men. You, however, listen, this is different. This is in direct opposition to what he just said. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Set against those 21 features of difficulty in ministry, Paul says, Timothy, you've known me quite well. You've followed me. You have been a diligent follower of my life. You have been accompanying me side by side for my life. Timothy, preach the word. Why? Because you know my life. You've followed my life. You know me. You've witnessed everything about my life. You have followed the pattern of my, my life. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and follow them. Imitate their faith. Preach the word, Timothy. Why? Because you follow. You know how to live. And we won't get into this right now, but I'll tell you what. There, I am so thankful for the people whom God, that God has placed in my life over the years. People whose, whose examples I've been able to follow, whose motivations I've been able to glean from. 
We need those kind of people. You need people in your life who have a followable faith. And if you want to follow somebody's faith, just look at what he says here. Follow their teaching, their conduct, their aim in life, their faith, their patience, their love, their steadfastness, their persecutions, their sufferings. Follow them. Those are the people who you ought to follow. Make heroes of those kind of people who are patient in suffering, persevering, continue on, who have a life that is holy and righteous and and whose doctrine is is good. Paul says, Timothy, you've got to preach the Word because we're in difficult times. And again, remember what's happening. It's kind of like the crescendo. If I were doing this properly today, I would have started off really calmly, which I never do, calmly and quiet, kind of like, The first reason, now church, the first reason that we must preach the Word is because of perilous times. And the second reason we preach the Word is because of the pattern of faithful men. It's kind of growing in intensity. And then I get to the third one and I say, because of the persecution. I'm going to watch it because by the time I get to the fifth one, I'm going to be screaming, right? But because of the persecution that is assured to godly people. Look at verse 11 which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Timothy, you've got to preach the Word because godly people, those who desire to live their lives for the Lord are going to suffer persecution. And in that day, what those godly people need is not fluff. They don't need a life coach. They need a word from God. What will sustain you in the midst of suffering? What will sustain you in the midst of persecution? Is not, here's how you, you know, win friends and influence people. It's what does God say? Preach the word because of perilous times and preach the word because of the pattern of faithful men and preach the word because of the persecution that's assured For the godly people, many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Bible says. In the world you will have tribulation. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Now listen, not every believer is going to face torture and imprisonment and martyrdom, but the reality is that every believer will face the opposition from the world, and sometimes that opposition will be severe. If you desire, if you are devoted to godly living in Christ Jesus. The fourth reason, because of the prevalence of false teachers, verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He talks here of the prevalence of false teachers. He calls them evil bad people. That word evil is a word that's used in the Gospels to describe Satan himself. It's not a reference to the work of these people, but but to their very character. They're evil people from the heart. Evil. You're not supposed to call people evil today, but of course that's what Paul does. They are evil. They are satanic. He calls them imposters. Those who This describes somebody who goes around wailing, pretending to be mourning, but they're just like hired hands. They're not really moved in their heart. They go on from bad to worse. They multiply like rabbits. They're growing like a cancer, deceiving and being deceived. 
These are reasons to preach the Word. And as I said, there's this, there's this crescendo in intensity that moves on from the perilous times to the pattern of, fall, of, of faithful teachers to the persecution that is assured to the godly believers to, to uh, the prevalence of false teachers. And by the time he gets to verse 15, by the time he gets to really verse 14, Paul's shouting. He reaches the climax. The fifth, the highest reason that you must preach the Word. Why? Look what he says in verse 4. But as for you, in opposition to those false teachers, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have become acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is get breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The fifth reason that he gives for preaching the Word is the power of the Word of God. Perilous times, pattern of faithful men, persecution that's assured anybody who's godly, prevalence of false teachers, and lastly, the power of the Word of God. What is the power of the Word of God? He says, Timothy, don't, don't be influenced by those false teachers, but you keep on keeping on in the things that you've been faithfully taught. You see, Timothy had a, a, a mother and a grandmother who probably, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, faithfully taught their son and grandson taught their son the sacred writings, taught their son and grandson the, 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 the Old Testament Scriptures. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to understand something. I want you to continue in that. Why? Because that is able to make you wise. It's able to bring you to your senses, to lead you to what? To salvation, which is to be found in Christ Jesus. In other words, the only reason you preach the Word, or the main reason you preach the Word is because of the power of the Word. What is the Word able to do? The Word of God is able to bring you to your senses. To make you wise unto salvation. We have thought all of our lives wrongly. Or most of us have thought wrongly about this. You think that being born again is a matter of your decision. That you just wake up one day and decide to get born again. And that is precisely wrong. You do not decide to get born again. You are born again through the power of the Word of God. God opens your eyes. God opens your mind. God opens your heart through the sovereign spirit wrought work of the Word of God. He changes your mind. He changes your heart as you come to, to the truth of seeing what God says. The Bible is able to make you wise unto salvation, which is to be found in Christ Jesus. Not only the Old Testament, but then all of Scripture, he calls it. Scripture there, a reference not just to the Old Testament, but also to the New Testament. A reference not just to the Old Testament, but a reference to what the apostolic writers wrote down. The Word is powerful. And without the Word, what are you going to do in perilous times? I'll tell you what you do. You go find a mountain cabin somewhere, wrap it in aluminum foil, and eat bird food and stay away from everyone else. 
How many times have you thought about doing that? Maybe not eating bird food, but... What are you going to do in the midst of perilous times? How are you going to follow faithful men and women who've gone on before us and who've stuck with the stuff? What are you going to do when persecution and suffering arises against you and tells you, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, you are going to get canceled. No more food for you. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle the prevalence of false teachers when through every means, television and print media and internet, it's coming to you and, and then you come into your church and then you hear, what are you going to do? How are you going, at, but, but the loudest and greatest reason for the word is how are you going to be saved? Do you understand? Listen, friends, listen, that without the Bible, you cannot be saved. There is no message outside of this gospel. You must, you require the word of God to make you wise unto salvation. It's not something that comes through a self-help course. It's not something that comes through therapy. It comes through, listen, the spirit of God applying the word of God to the heart of rebellious, hardened sinners. Just like happened with me and just like happened with you. You can't be saved. No, you can't be saved, but you can't be sanctified. He says, look, look back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and advantageous, beneficial, profitable for what? For teaching. I'm getting ahead of myself here, trying to get all this in. I have so much to go through, but he says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Teaching, reproof, teaching is, is, is bringing the truth to bear on your life. Reproof is, is God's gracious conviction, both of wrong belief and wrong behavior. You don't get that without the Bible. He says, for Teaching for reproof, for correction. Correction is not just saying, hey, this is wrong, but correction is restoring you to a proper condition. And then it trains you in righteousness. It sets you in the right condition. And then it says, here's the path of righteousness. Walk in it. You can't be sanctified without the Bible. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, are, are we seeing a church today that is more holy by and large? No, Why? Because of the absence of the word. The absence of the word. Yet today, you've got people going around trying to, to tell you that, like Andy Stanley says this, the issue with Christianity has never been, is the Bible true? That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to take away the foundation of our faith. Christianity has everything to do with whether or not the Bible is true. Everything. If this book is not true, you have no salvation. This is why Martin Luther said this. 
any teaching which does not square with the Scripture is to be rejected even if it snows miracles every day. Any teaching which does not square with the Scripture is to be rejected even if it snows miracles every day. So Timothy, I charge you therefore, on that basis, Timothy, preach the Word in season and in not. What's that mean? Preach the Word regardless of the season. That's in the, you know what, it's a pretty easy season, not too much, I mean, there's some difficulty, but, or man, it is really getting down to it. Preach the Word because of perilous times. Preach the Word because of the pattern of faithful men. Preach the Word because of the persecution of godly men. Preach the Word because of the prevalence of false teachers. And preach the Word because of the power of the Word. So why was Paul so eager that the Thessalonians would know that what they were getting from him was genuine? Why, were they, why was he so eager to make sure this and nothing else Well, because without that, there's no sanctification. Without that, there's no salvation. That's sort of like the loudest, the, the highest point in this crescendo of intensity as to why you preach the Word. We're not, I think what happens often is we think that the Bible is nice but not necessary. I mean, I'm not gonna. I, I, I don't mean this in a mean way, but how many of you even opened the Bible this week, or did you have to dust the dust off of it to get it, or did you do you even know where it is? And I'm not just talking just reading it, but did you even give a second thought? To what God says and how you lived your life this week? You see, I, I said at the beginning that if, if we really believe that we are in the last days, we will take this command very seriously. The command to preach the Word. I want to give you a caution. And the caution is that before you go around telling everybody, we're in the last days. This is it. The last of the last day. I mean, it's coming. Ask yourself how much you've considered the Word in your own life. Are you living like it's nice? Or are you living like it's an absolute necessity? We've got a book. I often tell people, the Bible's in the middle of our name. And I hope we never take it away. We're about Calvary Bible Church. Calvary, we're about the blood. Bible, we're about the book. And church, we're about the body. May we never, may that define who we are until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. This is not a fairy tale passed down through generations, but we've got a verifiable, measurable truth to it before us in black and white. This book, my friends, has stood the test of time. No, Think about it. No other book is the subject of so much and the object of so much scrutiny in the world. No other book is the subject of so much scorn and opposition. But let me tell you, 
these mockers or those mockers are laying in their graves today, but here I stand with a Bible in my hand. Without this, what do we have? You can't be rescued from the wrath of God against your sin because how are you going to know about your sin? And, and even if you do, how are you going to know about one who, who died in your place, who, who, su- who was the substitutionary sacrifice for sin? Listen, that on the cross, you want to know why Jesus died? He died on the cross bearing the penalty for my sin and your sin. He, he took it in Himself. He bore it in His own body and paid the price in full. And that's why it's so important that we not only believe that He died, but that He rose again because His resurrection is proof that His work was complete and accepted. And you're not going to be saved by joining a church. You're not going to be saved by going to church. You're not going to be saved by trying to be a a good person. You're going to be saved by coming to the message of the cross that the, the Scriptures tells us about. You're going to be saved by coming to the message of the Gospel and saying, I stake my claim on that one who died in my place. That's my only righteousness. That's my only hope. And I hope that you can say today that you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be with God in heaven. I hope you can say today for certainty, with a certainty, that you know for sure that if the Lord, if today was the last day, that you'd be welcomed by the Father. Can you say that for sure? If not, what are you doing? Listen, you got the truth. Believe it. Humble yourself. Stop with all of your your reasoning. Stop with all of your debate. Stop with all of your doubt. And just bow before the truth. Let's pray. So Father, thank You for the Bible. And I pray, O Father, that You will help us to come and humble brokenness, humble contrition, humble submission to what You've said. Thank You, Lord, for a book. The revelation of Your truth to us. Outside of this, we would know nothing of the Gospel. I pray for those who are here today, perhaps for the first time, or they're hearing the truth. It's, it's traveling to their heart. They're recognizing their need of a Savior. I pray that You would draw them to Yourself, that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In these last days. I pray, Lord, that we as Christians would be much more diligent in the Word, and meditating on it day and night. That our lives, O oh God, would bear the fruit according to godliness for your glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say. Would you stand together?